What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On Pit Podcast, your daily podcast covering the Pittsburgh Panthers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today we are talking about everything pit basketball and the construction that they have right now. What's the ceiling of this pit team? What's a reasonable expectation? Where could they go? And to do that, we're going to have Stephen Gertz of Rivals Panther Lair on today. Love having Stephen on. And we are going to talk Pit Hoops. It's all coming up today on this episode of Locked On Pit. Our Locked On Pit, your daily podcast on the Pittsburgh Panthers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everyone, welcome to the Locked On Pit Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. And so with that, I would like to welcome in good friend and one of the best, I think, basketball analysts out there, especially in the world of pit basketball, Stephen Gertz, who is just the most insightful guy that you can find on the webs. What's up, Stephen? Oh, what's going on, Nick? Uh, appreciate the compliment, man, and always, always fun to be on the on the show here on the podcast. Yeah, man, and, and you are my go-to, and we haven't talked, I think, since this season ended when we were talking about what Pitt needed, and uh, you know, we talked a ton about different guards, point guards, and all the different things, and you go down the checklist, and I think that they've added most of what we've said, uh, especially in the point guard department. Really, they got about. Two point guards on the team. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely something that uh, you hit on at the end of the season. I think a lot of people that follow the team thought, you know, decision-making, that point guard, primary ball handler was a big need. So to get two of them, uh, you know, one being very uh, seasoned and to be the other one extremely promising uh, is a big boon for the program for sure. And so let's go into some of those guys. I, I want to talk about the obvious guy, the the big commit of the week, Dior Johnson. Kind of what you've seen out of him, he's been very hyped up. He's Jeff Capel's highest-rated recruit, probably going to start right away. What's your initial thoughts on Dior? Well, I watched a little bit of film uh, the other day ever since the commit because uh, it kind of came it came very quickly. So I started watching some videos, uh, and I was extremely impressed. Uh, you know, one of the things I think is going to drop here for an article on Panther Lair, uh, but one of the things you know I'll put out here is that you know I I think his handle reminds me more of a guy like a Chris Paul than it does like a John Morant. I mean, he just had a variety in his handle. Sometimes we talk about guys deep in their bag when it comes to tricks, when it comes to layups, that stuff. But, you know, he had showed, you know, quick left to right crossover, but he also kind of had almost like a Jarrett Jack Chris Paul kind of looks like a palming crossover goes in front of him to change pace. Uh, A lot of snatch dribbles. I mean, he just really played with great pace, with great poise. You couldn't really speed him up. You know, that really jumped out immediately and then just bled into pretty much everything he did. So I think they're getting a very advanced player with great feel great basketball iq seems to be very good in ball screens and is obviously a shot maker uh and they needed all of those things uh so you know he's he's definitely a big get uh and i expect him to do uh big things here at Pitt. yeah a lot of hype and i think he's the three level score that can do a lot of different things uh, i think he's a really fun player to watch for sure but I want to talk just about this team a lot because, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about the or we've talked about every edition here on the Locked on Pit episode. We have talked about 
them in some capacity on a microscopic level. But I haven't talked about the team as a whole. And Steven, I think you know better than anyone else how this team might work together. You've watched all these guys and, and you see what they might do. So let's just get this out of the way. What do you what would you do with the guys you have right now in terms of making a starting five? What would your starting five be? I think you have to go a little bit smaller here. I think, you know, the question to me is going to be immediately. I don't know if you could put out five good to a, you know, really great, like I, I short of great, of course, defenders. So I don't know if going a little bit bigger serves you well because you don't have Muhammadu Gi. Uh, you know, you don't really have that guy in the back line. So I think you should probably try to put out the best offensive players uh, and hope for the best. And to me, Hughley's obviously an immediate inclusion. Nelly Cummings is an immediate inclusion. Dior Johnson is an immediate inclusion. And I think then it becomes, do you think that Blake Henson, who is kind of like, you know, gotten a little bit bigger, presumably stronger, if he could be kind of that, you know, three, four type of, uh, you know, wing forward type player. And then you go with like Jamarius Burton, who's just going to be steady performer, who, you know, you're going to get a lot of consistency out of. And actually he is, in my opinion, uh, optics wise, a plus defender. So I would probably put those five out there. Uh, I think you get a good mix of youth. You get a good mix of experience. You get three guy or two guys that have been in the system and are probably your best two returning players. Um, so that's probably what I would go with because I don't think another combination is going to be good defensively. And then I think you're going to lose offensively um, if you go to another combination. And, and we're just not sure where Nike's at. Yeah, I think that's what I would say. Dior, Nelly, Jamarius, Blake Henson and then John Hughley, I think, would be the starting five I would go with as well. Um, but I think that you look, and I I want to talk about the four specifically. I think as you kind of alluded to, they never really replaced Mogi. And, and that's the one thing I feel like they haven't done. Now, they have the Diaz-Graham twins who maybe can replace the, the stretch ability of a guy like Gee, but maybe not the defensive ability, um, which is which is what made Mogi such a rare player. Now they've added the point guard, they've added the wing, they've added a three some three-point shooters. They've added a lot of guys to this room, but they haven't replaced the Mogi factor. How big of a concern for you is that four play? Because you have, you know, Henson who hasn't played in two years, Diaz Graham, who is a freshman, and, and we don't know what he's gonna look like. And then you have Will Jeffress. So those are really your four options. I mean, it's big. I mean, people sometimes point at the numbers. They say, oh, you should be able to get that anywhere. But it's just the effect that he had. I mean, you just weren't driving the ball uh, if Mogi was down there. His ability to to be in help, his, his weak side help was such an asset. You know, you just have to scheme around it. And when you really think about Pitt and this team, how many guys last year – the teams really sit down and say, we have to scheme around this. When it came to attacking the Panthers, Mogi should have been at the top. Now, in terms of guys you needed to stop, it was probably John Hughley. Uh, but, you know, Gee was in there. I mean, he was stretching the floor. He was somebody that, you know, could operate in a little bit of space, wasn't particularly involved in the screen game. But this team runs a ton of horns, and he was a huge part of horns, uh, you know, running those sets. He was a guy that if they were one pass away on dribble and kick, he would knock down those threes. You know, who's that going to be? You know, so it's he did a lot of things on both ends of the floor that I'm just not sure they did replace aside from yeah I mean the you know Diaz Graham twins could probably replace some of the stretch ability but um you know that's gonna have to be proven too uh so yeah I'm I would be concerned but I am a little bit bullish that they may have just added more deep offensive players so so maybe that production gets picked up somewhere yeah I think that's an interesting point to bring up too and and you talk about the defensive capabilities uh, of the team it might not be there they don't really have a three and D guy. 
uh, on the team. Now, they have some three guys, and that's different than what they've had in the past, really. They have a few of those guys now that can shoot three or at least the very requisite level. Uh, your work, if we went by that starting lineup, your worst shooter in the starting lineup for three point range is probably going to be Hughley, but your one through three, really one through four, even Henson uh, makes that at about a 32% clip, a uh, three ball. So you would still be able to have four shooters with 32 plus percent on the floor. Cummings 36. Uh, Johnson's probably projecting around there as well. Burton probably around there as well. But then you have guys maybe off the bench. And this is a piece that I kind of look at as someone who could be a, a sleeper that could maybe step up in. Someone like a Greg Elliott, who has was highly touted out of Marquette, has dealt with a lot of injuries that have maybe sapped some of that athleticism. But just two years ago, he was known as one of those great 3 and D guys. And do you think that's still in Greg Elliott? Could he turn back the clock and maybe get back to his defensive ways? Or is he just more of a catch-and-shoot shooting guard that you bring on now as more of an offensive piece? Yeah, you, you like to think a kid, you know, is, is going to get back there. One of the things that I like about Elliott, he's still bringing, you know, like what, like 114 games of just collegiate experience. He also last year had to mesh with, you know, six new freshmen there at Marquette. So this is somebody who's able to, you know, who's proven last year he can come in, he can mesh with an entirely new group of players and still be an effective player. Now, you know, can he get back to shooting like 45%? I don't know. Even if it's like 42, I think that's awesome for Pitt. So, I mean, even if he doesn't really quite get back to his peak collegiate season, um, you know, he could still get back to, you know, shooting it in, in the low 40s, which would be about his career, right? About 41%. So, I mean, if he's if he's right around there, a little bit above. Uh, as far as the defensive element, it depends on what Pitt kind of slots him in on that assignment. Like, is he going to have to be the low man sometimes? It's sometimes Ethiel Horton or Femi Udakali once they realized that Horton wasn't great there. Femi Udakali became that person. Will he be effective there? I don't know. You know, they don't really put their guys on an island either. Um, so I think as long as he's good in team, you know, with the team defensively, then I think he'll be fine. But I don't know if he's going to be, you know, great on an island or trying to win the point of the attack that's probably going to fall to another guy. And I don't know how good he's going to be as the low man like Femi Odakali was. I think that's going to fall on Jamarius Burton. Cool, great insight. We're going to talk a little bit more about the team and some individual guys. But first, let me let you guys know about Bet Online because BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including this year's basketball championship matchup, the NHL Finals, MLB, and, of course, fighting news from MMA to UFC and boxing. BetOnline is your continuous source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. Bet Online, where the game starts all right everybody welcome back to the locked on pit podcast here with steven gertz talking a little bit about pit basketball and steven i want to go more towards a, a team aspect here you've seen kind of some of the guys that they've added like dior johnson and nelly cummings these are guys who maybe like to push the tempo a little bit more and last year it was very deliberate that pit was a slow team that wanted to make games ugly and drag other teams into the mud and this is maybe a different kind of philosophy change for Jeff Capel. Do you expect them to go more up-tempo and maybe play with change of pace and, and do more of that now that they have two point guards? And how would that affect Pitt offensively? Uh, I think that's a direction that, you know, every coach would like to get 
easier baskets in transition. Last year, only 18.8% of Pitt's total shot attempts were in transition. So I don't know where that ranks in a national average, but there's only like one out of every five. And for a team that plays at a slow pace, I'm not sure that's really a lot of shots. Also, I think we all noticed just kind of anecdotally, they turn the ball over a lot in transition. So to your point about having a true floor general there, I think if they feel they can play under control, be disciplined in running those lanes, they have guys that could be able to run for threes. They have guys that should be able to run down the middle of the floor like Hughley, especially if he's in better shape. Uh, and then they have point guards under control. They should be able to do it because, you know, this is a team that's going to need to have every point up on the board to win some games. Uh, so I do expect them to maybe have an uptick in kind of total shot representation, but it's going to have to come with some level of efficiency last year. You know, I probably could look through, but I would say in the last five, six games, there's at least two or three turnovers, a game that occurred in transition, which is ideally not what you want. Yeah. To say the least, uh, to, to say the least, ideally what you would not want. And, you know, they threw in guys like Odukale and Jamaris Burton in particular, who, really weren't comfortable in that point guard role. And Burton now gets to be the three, which is probably where he's going to be better at. But I also want to talk about having that true point guard and having some shooters like a Greg Elliott, uh, intriguing shooters like Jorge Diaz-Graham and Cassius McNeely in there. And then you just have average shooters across the board, which is a far cry from what they had last year. It's much better than what they had. Uh, They're just a deeper team. But I want to know for you, how does this change the outlook for a guy like John Hughley, who was so good last year, but they really had no one you had to be scared of. So he was the focal point of defenses. They would really just man him down on the low block, double team and force him into a lot of turnovers. How is this team that is built around, say, John Hughley, essentially, how is it going to help him flourish potentially into an even better season in his junior year? That's a great question. I think a lot of that depends on what Hughley we get back here. Are we still getting a block dominant Hughley? Because you saw the effectiveness when Ethel Horton came back. If he's in that strong side corner where Hughley's in the post, it really provides a lot of opportunities there. But are we getting a Hughley that's now more of a mid-post guy? Are we getting a Hughley that's more of a high-post guy in attacks? Can they find you know one of these point guards to pair more in short roll situations, which he was really good with with Femi Olikali, uh last year, particularly towards the latter part of the year? So it depends on what Hughley we're going to get. But I think you know because he's so prolific offensively and I expect him to be a little bit more dynamic this year I think the spacing is obviously going to help but they have to use that spacing correctly I think if they just throw you know Elliot in the corner and just hope that holds the defender that's not really been been good for them right let's just be honest I mean that's what they had Horton do and there was times it was okay times not I think they have to really sit down and think about the best way to deploy those guys to truly create space because just going four out and one in or five out which is what they do a lot you know especially if they run like delay with Hughley coming down late they didn't get a lot out of those sets. I think they really need to figure out why. And then you can really uh, maximize Hughley because I expect him to be uh, extremely dynamic this year. And I don't think he's just going to be glued to the low post like last year. Yeah, he lost 20 pounds via the the roster. So he's a little bit more chiseled, different frame, uh, which is interesting to me. But I also talked with Dior Johnson. He said, you know, something that they've talked about is maybe getting Hughley to, to set some screens out on the perimeter, then get be the roll man down and kind of move on action and cutting and doing a lot more of that. Uh, and that would be something that we just haven't seen because they haven't had a competent screen setter really or a competent <laughs> game off those screens. Do you think that could be something that maybe they look for Hughley to do and to open up this offense a little bit more? 
Absolutely. I mean, if there was a guy on the roster last year who I did think dove hard in collapse defense in the absence of just great space creating, you know, from shot or space that's created from shooters is probably Noah Collier. So I think if Hughley dedicates himself more, he's a much more gravitational force than Collier would be. And he would really suck in those defenders. Then it comes down to, you know, if you're running those screens and rolls with a Dior who seem to have a really good feel, who's the one pass away guy. Is it Greg Elliott for that open three? If that's where the help comes from on Hughley, if, if, or, you know, if he lifts, is, is he going to be there? I think that again is, is scheme, but also something with Dior that I saw that popped off on the senior tape is he really has an understanding of like the depth of penetration to make passes. So if he is diving and if he's dribble penetrating off of these screens, he's going to find a rolling Hughley in probably a much better situation than he's ever been in. And that's going to be potent. So I really do think, but that's going to come down on John. Did he dedicate himself to hold screens, to draw contact into exit with urgency? That's going to allow Pitt to take advantage of that. Well, you talked about the guy that it could be, whether it's a Greg Ellie or whatever, but you know, Dior was talking about maybe that being Nelly uh, and, your thoughts maybe on that, maybe not in that specific role, but how do you, how comfortable are you with say a D if your Nelly are the two starters, which we expect them to be, and maybe they are switching off every now and then point guard, maybe off ball. How comfortable are you with Dior and Nelly respectively say working off the ball, maybe as not the main ball handler, are they effective enough? Uh, or is this where maybe we can see Nike, if he starts to really get in a, a heat, maybe start to get into the lineup a little more. I think there's more collegiate evidence, obviously, that Nelly can do a little bit more off the ball. Um, you know, they kind of had that Swiss Army Nice player uh, at Colgate, uh, whose name at the top at, at the moment is escaping me. Um, but he dominated the ball quite a bit, a lot too. And Nelly played off the ball there and was very effective. So I think that he's going to be able to do it. You know, Dior, it's going to come down to, you know, purposeful movement cutting all of those things. I think, does he have the aptitude? Does he have the ability and in, in pedigree to do this? Yes. Um, but I would think more that he's going, Nelly's going to be more comfortable in that role immediately um, than Dior. But I think anytime you could have two primary ball handlers and you could have a little variety in who's using a ball screen. And, and, you know, there's always the possibility that I'd probably have a heart attack if they set screens for each other's, because I think that's awesome. Or if they were running split action off of a post entry to John Hughley, I mean, those things would be awesome for me in terms of just selfishly breaking down film later. Uh, but yeah, I think they can operate that well. I think the bigger question is going to be uh, defensively. Okay, so the defensive questions come up again. Where's the rim protection on this team? Because that was essentially Mogi. Is there really a rim protector? Or is that going to be another area where it feels like we talked about? They're putting a lot of pressure on John Hughley to, to be the best version of John Hughley. Is that going to come from Hughley? Is it going to have to come from one of the twins? Where's this coming from? Well, if that, if we go with the starting lineup that I think we both uh, both had, it's I don't think the rim protection really comes from Hughley, and I don't know if you can really afford for him to get in any type of foul trouble, really, right? That's going to be something we talk about all year. Uh, it's going to come down to the guards to just not bleed bit, triple penetration. I mean, that happened so much um, last year. I mean, you know, I mean, especially right through the middle of the floor. So whoever's that weak side slot defender is going to have to be a lot better than they were in the past. Uh, but I expect guys like Nelly Cummings, who's a smart player. I expect guys like Jeremiah Burton, who brings a lot of experience and is a smart uh, player, to maybe shore those up. But as long as they don't bleed dribble penetration, it shouldn't be too much of an issue. But last year, I think there were obviously times that we remember where Mogi was cleaning up quite a bit. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, we've mentioned the Twins a little bit on here. When you watched Jorge and Guillermo, I, I watched them a little bit and said, they're twins, but they couldn't be different from more different from each other. Very different players. 
What is your year one expectations from the Twins? I hear everything from they're going to redshirt to these guys are going to be, you know, impact stars right away. What are, What's your expectation for Jorge and Guillermo? I mean, I think based on the position they play, they're going to have to be able to contribute. Um, but, you know, the people that you hear like, oh, well, you know, it's like having two Chet Holmgrams. I think we really got to pump the brakes there, right? I mean, that dude's probably going two in the draft. So I don't think we have two of those guys quite yet. I think, you know, coming out of those Pau Gasol camps, though, you can clearly see those zero type skills. Um, I think they're going to have to probably contribute in some way. And and even though I know, you know we talk a lot, Nick, this isn't really something I dabble in a lot. This is going to have to be something where Capel really, you know, is able to balance developing and allowing guys to play through mistakes in a year in which I think there is pressure to win. Right. And so you have this roster full of seasoned guys that, you know, you can go to, but you know, you have Dior, you know, who's going to need to be played, you know, he's going to need to get that time because you have to show the next, next wave, next recruiting class that you're going to do this. So I think because of that, you will see them uh, get in, you will see them play, but I expect rotational help. I don't expect um, starting 25 minutes a game, uh, you know, it basically being like mini Chet Holmgren or, you know, end of career Dirk Nowitzki's or things like that. You know, I, I don't, I don't foresee that. All right. We're going to go to expectations and stuff next, but folks, I'm letting you know about rock auto. Cause this episode was brought to you by rock auto with the ever number increasing numbers of makes and miles. It's impossible for your local chain operator to stock all the parts that you need. You don't have to endure questioning while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer that all their warehouse only happens to carry. That's the only stuff you can possibly get. But you have computers with access to rockout.com right now. And in your pocket, you could save as much as 100% more with rockout. You could save time and money. It's a family business with reliably low prices for every customer. So go to rockout.com right now and see all their parts available for your car or truck. Right, Locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Locked on Pit podcast. Talking pit hoops here with Steven Gertz. And Steven, I want to shift over maybe to more general stuff. Um, and and I, I do want to throw out the granddaddy question that everyone's going to probably be wondering. When you look at this team and the construction that they have, what's your realistic expectation for them? Are they top half of the ACC? Are they an NIT team? How likely is it that they make the NCAA tournament? Stuff like that. Is this a team that could potentially make the run that Jeff Capel needs them to make? Well, I think this season, their floor and their ceiling are further apart. Last year, I thought their ceiling and their floor were pretty close together. I had them winning nine games and winning 11. So, I, I mean, I, I thought that that's kind of more where they were this year. They could be a team, in my opinion, that wins 15 16 games i mean with a ceiling of of maybe you're thinking nit i still think it's more of like a a bottom half and acc team but maybe not the bottom uh or one of the bottom two but i also think because of just the variance in the roster i mean there, you know there's so many questions you know is henson going to come back having taken all this time off is you know cassius mcneely going to contribute having not really played division one basketball due to injury and covid you know is all of these pieces going to gel right away there's no front court depth all the things that you could go negative on i think does still create a floor of you know somewhere between nine and 12 wins maybe even 10 wins where but i but i do think the ceiling could be a team that could maybe push for the nit if things go well if john hughley is a first or second team all acc performer if you know nelly cummings and, and dior johnson and having a true point guard add three wins well yeah now you're looking at you know 16 17 wins yeah i think that's an interesting thought process and, and 
Jeff Cable probably needs to make the NIT, I think, to save his job at the very least. Um, but this is an important year for him. And uh, we, we talked about this, that he's, he's coaching up with his back against the wall. Uh, and it's going to be very important for Pitt to win a lot this year. So when you look at the weaknesses of what this roster carries with them right now, you touched on some you know defensive things. What are some of the prime weaknesses that teams are going to attack them with uh, that you think could be attacked and that are going to stick out once the team starts to play on the court? Well, I mean, we've, we've talked about defense, you know, we're, you're, you know, health is always going to be one to right. You really can't attack that, but you know, Hughley being in foul trouble, those are, I think are obvious ones, but you know, maybe this team doesn't shoot the ball super well, right? Like that's, that, that is a possibility. I mean, we don't know what Dior's ability to shoot the ball at the collegiate level. I think he's a shot maker. I didn't, I don't see anything wrong mechanically. Um, he takes and makes a lot of contested shots, but you know, sometimes that goes one of two ways, you know, maybe Hinson doesn't come back. I think it's just the gelling of all of these pieces. There's guys that aren't really coming off uh, college seasons. You know, uh, I think Elliot's going to be stable. What's Nike Sabandi's health really at, right? Like if he's, you know, a hundred percent ready to go, I think that's a very different than him still, you know, kind of suffering from this knee injury. So I think there's a lot of variables there, but I think the one second to defense is what if the team doesn't really shoot the ball that well? Uh, I think, you know, the, it looks like on paper they can, but again, you know, there's not like uh, JJ Redick or, you know, like Tyler Hero or Chris Middleton. There's not like those dudes on the roster per se. Um, it just because last year it just ended up only being Horton. I mean, only Burton and, and uh, Femi Okali shot, you know, 41 and 39% respectively from the field if they're not efficient from the guard spot because that's where they're deep and they don't shoot it well, I think we're looking at a season similar to last year with just different names. Yeah, and that would be worst-case scenario uh, for everything. But I think the big thing you look at this year is, and that everyone has pointed out is, well, they're deeper. They have potentially six capable guards to play. Uh, they have the diaz Gramptons who you feel like are going to play a little bit. Maybe even Will Jeffers takes the step you look for him to take. But they're deeper, at the very least. You know, they were very short-sighted last year in terms of the depth that they had. Do you think that could potentially give them some longevity that we haven't seen Jeff Capel's teams here at Pitt have, where he has collapsed repeatedly in the months of February and March? Could that potentially stave off those collapses as the team maybe doesn't get weared down as much playing, say, you know, Burton doesn't need to play 40 minutes every night? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think if the depth plays well, right? I think we went in the last season thinking, oh, Chris Payton looks like this really good Juco athlete. Um, you know, Dan Aldapo looks like he's going to contribute and be able to do something. No Collier's going to take a step forward. It looked like last year they were going to have depth at uh, four. They're going to have a little bit more front court depth. And then we get to, like you mentioned, those points in the season, you can't play Chris Payton because he's just lost defensively. You know, Oladapo, you can't play Carl Landry in 2021, 2022. Like those, those things happen. So all of a sudden you didn't have that depth. So is all of those guys, all of those guards going to play well enough to get playing time in those months? I think that's a big question. And then, yeah, I mean, they have Santos, they have Will Jeffress, they have those other kind of bigger wings that maybe if they develop. So uh, to me, I think in a season, because we both talked about it, but you, you know, you nailed it on the head, there's pressure to win. You know, he's going to have to do well when you're in February and March, you're going to have to win. And if you can't trust that fifth and sixth guard, the depth doesn't help you. And so the, that preseason or the not, sorry, the non-conference, any scrimmages, all of those things are going to be vital to proving that they can play nine guys um, because otherwise it'll just be back like they were last year with like, you know, seven, um, you know, when they really needed a win. 
and you look at the non-conference, it's not easy. Vanderbilt uh, at Vanderbilt, then West Virginia comes to Pitt, and then they're also in the Legends Classic with Michigan, VCU, and Arizona State in there. Is that an ideal thing for you? I mean, we aren't going to get many games where we see them right out of the gate play cupcakes. That Legends Classic is November 16th, so they're going to play in that very early in the year, potentially only one game before they head up there. Um, so it's going to be a really early start for them in terms of these power five, power six teams that they're going to play. And and you got to wonder if that baptism by fire helps them or maybe hurts them. Uh, again, good point. I mean, it's in, in the long run, it probably helps them. But in a year in which you probably have to prove results, um, could hurt them. Like I said, you know, there's guys that need to be able to play through mistakes. You have a pretty much new roster. Um, if they go with that starting five, only two of those guys are back. You know, Nike Savani didn't play really with Burton in meaningful games, right? Like he wasn't really around, you know, Hughley's a different, you know, Hughley's a different guy, you know, he wasn't available as much as a freshman. So even the guys that you think are going to contribute haven't played together. So it's not ideal for a roster that needs to gel together. Now, a lot of teams across the country are facing that. Uh, but not everyone is kind of in the coaching position that Capel is. So it's going to be a really interesting thing to watch out for between developing and winning because those don't always correlate. Certainly at that, they do not always correlate. It's one of the more talented teams I think Jeff Capel has had here at Pitt, at least with a guy like Dior Johnson and some upside with Nellie Cummings and some other guys here. But I, I guess the, the one question I still have for you, uh, Stephen, is just what this team is going to – kind of the play style and what Jeff Capel is going to try and dial up here. Do you trust Jeff Capel to maybe get the most out of this team? Is he adaptable enough that you've seen? Is he able to switch styles and, and fit to the guys that they have now? Because it looks like it's going to be a much different type of athletic team, a different type of group that's going to play differently. You would feel, uh, do you feel like Jeff Capel is up to that task to get the on court success? Uh, I mean, he samples from a lot of things. So I think in regard of that, I mean, they're going to run pro sets. I mean, when you look at what, you know, Duke runs with guys that are going in the NBA lottery, it looks real good. I think when you run it for Pitt, it doesn't look quite as good. I mean, horns is a pretty big part of what they do. You know, they run a lot of those floppy sets. There's a lot of things they run, though, with two bigs. You know, even that Miami action they started running with Noah Collier usually requires a, a big in some point kind of like, you know, diving off of that. So it's going to be interesting if they don't run too big is how that works because now you're having, you know, Hughley as the only screener. I mean, if we're at a point now where it's still high ball screen with Hughley, Hughley everybody else out, uh, I think it's probably not going to work. You know, they have to take advantage, like you said, with the athleticism, with multiple ball handlers. I mean, those early actions are so important. You know, they should be running, you know, sometimes they run some of that, like, you know, UCLA screens or they'll run some flex screens and stuff with some of their guards. But I think early actions, you know, the dribble handoffs, you know, going back to pistol, which he did a little bit more with like the Xavier Johnson, McGowan's Tony teams, you know, will he do that to maximize their ability? Hopefully, you know, if we see a lot of the same stuff, like I, I just don't know how good is Blake Hinson going to be as a horn screen center, right? If that's on him, you know, pr probably not getting a lot of them there, you know, I mean, and there's not a lot of tape currently of him doing that. So, you know, it, it just really depends. I, this is going to be a big coaching job for him because it, you're right. This is a much talent, more talented, diverse roster. Will we see an offense that marries it? Or are we going to see the same things? Are you going to try to run, you know, Spain pick and roll with, again, as one of the guards, as one of those, you know, screen setters that doesn't probably do a great job of it. I mean, that's something they had success with. And the one thing, too, is Femi was pretty central to a lot of these unique, and I'm doing air quotes when I say that, sets here. Uh, 
who's that going to be? I mean, there's better ball handlers than him on this roster, but you know, he was a big part of that. So that's going to be remain, uh, remain to be seen as well. You know, he was the Spain pick and roll guy along with Nike short rolls were almost always Femi uh, with John Hughley, you know, that, that chemistry needs built back up. Um, so it'll, I'll be anxious to see, but if we just see horns on the first possession, I think I'm going to be a little, little bummed out, Nick. <laughs> well, by the sounds of it, that guy could potentially be Jamarius Burton. Potentially. Uh, J- Jamarius has a chance. I think, you know, Cummings and Dior Johnson will certainly be able to run a lot of ball screen action uh, and so forth. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of things you should be able to sample from with four guard sets. Um, you know, I mean, they can run, you know, one, four high. Sometimes they run one, four flat. I mean, there's a lot of other things you could do. Even when you look at teams that do that within the ACC, North Carolina has done that. Wake Forest has done that. Um, you know, so Cable's done a good job sampling. It's going to be being in the details for execution, um, in kind of marrying an offense to this. I mean, when you look at the job that, you know, Forbes did at Wake Forest, completely changed it, right? Completely changed the way they did things this past year and had a ton of success. I think, you know, they didn't go as far as they would have liked, but I think you consider last season a win um, for Wake Forest for sure. And, and you can Cable do that here. I think that's kind of what, that's how I would compare it. That's what they're going to need, a Wake Forest-like season. And the models we talked about, or at least I talked about, were Wake Forest. And I, I think, you know, there was maybe some look of, could be a Miami-ish team where they, hmm. you know, got their Charlie Moore and they had an Isaiah Wong-like player and a Cam Mcgusty type player. I'm not sure they have that exact build, but maybe they can have type of success there and not go maybe as far as Miami did. But if you can get to the NIT like Wake Forest did, I think that's a win every day of the year. All right, Steven, where can they find your stuff, read your stuff, do all that great stuff, follow you, do all of it? Yeah, I mean, mostly I interact on Twitter, you know, at Stephen underscore Gertz, uh, Stephen with a PH. I'm always happy to talk to talk about hoops there. Um, writing for, you know, Rivals, uh, Panther Lair, of course, a little bit slower in the summer, but I am expecting to kind of come back with some of these really heavy breakdowns. Like when I tell you, I literally have probably clipped every single turnover from every relevant player I have. They're not always pretty to watch, but those type of articles are coming soon. Um, so you can certainly check those out, but those would definitely be the two uh, biggest places. Make sure to check out Steven's stuff, folks. As always, thanks for listening to the Locked On Pit Podcast. And as always, hail to Pit.